hope, I think, and I hope a lot of great art will come out of all of this time. I know there's like this new podcast called Almost Almost Famous that I think is going to be pretty incredible. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost, almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and today's guest is a dear friend and super talented man who has starred in such shows as The Comeback, Clipped, and Man with a Plan. Ladies and gents, Matt Cook. Hey, dude. Uh, it's great to see you. This is a person for people who don't know, and you should know this man. He is just a bright light of smiles and laughs and humor, and he will also, you know, prank the shit out of you or rib you or pinch you. He's, he's all you. about the... Getting, getting your goat in the best and most loving way. Yeah, that's very sweet of you. Thank you. That's very true. I guess like the reason behind this podcast was very tongue-in-cheek on the idea of almost, almost famous. And in no way is it a slight to anyone's actual fame or where they're at in their career. But I, <laughs> I feel like, and you can probably attest to this, all our friends and everyone trying to make it, no one feels like they've hit really any milestones, even when they have. or compared. It's like always a comparative business where... I think a lot of people are grateful where they are and where they've, you know, how they've progressed, but there's always that like next thing. Do you, do you feel that even as someone who has been on shows and seasons of shows that you're still like, what's the, what's next? Where where are we going? Yeah. Like years and like years ago, I had the realization that it's all just a game of Frogger and you have to navigate this treacherous path of, objects moving at incredibly quick speeds and maybe you land on something and you survive that jump but even then that that thing is gonna go away sometimes they go for a little bit longer sometimes they go you gotta get off that thing right away but that's it like it's just you're in motion you're scrambling you're hopping from one life raft to the next and it's a strange mentality to to be in because then when you get there you you, you're so grateful but you're like oh this is a shelf life and it's running out fast so i gotta i gotta be ready to move i gotta make sure that i'm putting down enough of a of a game plan to make it through this i like that metaphor of frogger because sometimes in that game you do have to go backwards yeah (laughs) you have to jump back a little bit to avoid the cars and sometimes it's a lot of like you know horizontal moves you're not really making progress but you just keep moving also what's great about that is it's always a forward progression in the end but I still, I guess to this day, don't know what the end goal of Frogger is. <laughs> that's tragic. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Then that actually just sells my point even more. It's like, oh, I'm just sweating and cursing and, and a nervous wreck for some reason. With getting into this like business and career, did you have thoughts or are you still in the mindset of like, is, is a goal fame and I guess in a way riches that come from that or is, it, is that not part of your success definition i don't think this is a a very uh new take on it but fame especially with actors i think has changed so much Mm. over the last couple decades but like the big movie stars of old that doesn't really exist anymore To, to in my in my opinion like you don't see guys like robert redford or paul newman or like i mean there's a few there are a few dudes that you're like that's a movie star. And there's women that you're like, that is a movie star. And there's everybody. 
but it does seem like the fame element has inflated so drastically and it has become really dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not something that I'm after, but I would like to be able to make a lot of things that I'm proud of. But I look at someone like Sam Rockwell, who is one of my favorites, who just takes it so easy. Like you don't see him popping up in tabloids or clubs or whatever. And he is an actor who works all the time, does huge projects, does small projects, does things that he really cares about. And that's sort of the, the sweet spot, I think. In a way, because there's more avenues for actors with, you know, streaming YouTube movies, TV, maybe dilutes the fame. Like no one has become just a superstar because it's like, oh, there's options. There's people everywhere. Yeah, I think so. And I think too, I think it's, I think that the, the internet has drastically changed how the audience is able to see things. There are infinite choices. Uh, so I think that whole thing is shifting in a way that I don't fully understand. But that's the whole industry. I mean, it's why I feel like the shift has gone from fame to almost fans. Mm. Someone can be a rabid fan of someone who's not famous, but it's like they can have a fan base that is diehard for them. Right. And those people have far more fans that are going, I love them, than some of the big movie stars are like, yeah, I like his stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like it is a strange sort of current, the currency has changed. As someone who has been on shows and has been on seasons of shows, do you feel there's times or moments when you kind of were like, you felt like you made it in a way? Like you were like, I've, I've put in this work in time. I've I've made it as an actor, or are you always like, I'm, ne I'm never quite there? I don't think there's a moment where I would say that I've made it, but there are a lot of moments that I feel very proud of, and I call them my shelf moments, and I take that little moment and I put it up on my shelf, and then it's there for the rest of my life. And I've been very fortunate to have a good number of shelf moments that I'm very proud of and happy with, and it's cool to look back on that and go, oh, that was, that was a hell of a thing. It's like your trophy mantle. Yeah. It's like your mental trophy case. Yes. You can just be like, My mental mantle. You might not ever be able to picture a moment when you're like, I've made it. It's more a collection of moments of pride. Yeah. I think too, I think that's, I think that's more based on just my experiences so far, which is like everything goes away and you have to keep moving and every new stage introduces new challenges and just like in video games every time you level up so do the bad guys so do the boss fights everything else gets more powerful with you so i'm coming to the slow realization that it's all just always going to be in motion and i just have to make the most out of whatever whatever point i'm at that being said the day i get to fly an a-wing will be a very good day. That'll be center shelf of the mental mantle. Especially when it's the actual literal Star Wars and we're all actually pilots. Yes, in the, in the Space Force. We're not talking about a film or anything like that. No. You mean like legit, like they build the A-Wing and you're in it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely moments where you'll be like, oh, this is, this is fantastic what I get to do. But I think there's some truth that it all goes away. Yeah. The key is to enjoy the good when you're in it and remember that the bad also goes away. Yeah. And I think I, I, I just did, um, I did another podcast. I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this podcast, mm -hmm. but I did another podcast. And it, 
please. <laughs> uh, and they asked me, they're like, do you have any advice for people getting into business? And I, it took me a minute and I, and then this is exactly what we're talking about now is the peaks and valleys are drastic, like real high highs, real low lows, but they are far and few between. So my advice is always, you got to be happy in the middle. Yeah. Cause even if, even if you make something of your own, you know, you know, and you're so proud of it, you can launch it into the world and nobody could give a shit. And so it would be an incredible journey to make that thing. And then an incredible defeat if it doesn't go the way you want it. So it's like, okay, you got to kind of temper your expectations on every side of it. Yeah. You're literally predicting just the future of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but it's very true that the highs are high, the lows are super low, but no one ever talks about how long of the stretches are where it's nothing. It's yeah. You're living. You're just, everything's more or less hopefully fine. And you can either be upset that you're not in the high moments, or you can be grateful that you survived all those low moments and that you're stronger for it. And that you like, yeah. I think the like gift over time of the people who truly stay with this and this like form of madness that is a career is realizing that like, oh wow, like if I can survive these low moments, eventually high moments happen. It's just, it's just getting like over this yeah. and being like, great. And then you don't need it. And if you don't need it, then you can become very dangerous. Then you can do whatever is needed. Then you can be flexible and free and you don't go into a room and you're like, ah, please, please. You know, it's not, that's a bad energy. So it's like the more you take care of yourself, the more you're able to give of yourself. So it's, it's, that's where the real balance, the balancing act, I think, is. Yeah. At what point did you feel like you kind of hit your stride with that? Where you were like, oh, wow, I'm going in much calmer. I'm, I'm not feeling this like neurotic nervous energy to book or make things. It's just like, great. If they like me, they like me. I think it was after a pretty tragic independent film I did <laughs> that I only worked a week on. And it was like, it was so bizarre and it was so weird. And it was just a, a disaster on every level. And I ended up being recast a few times during the week. And like the whole time I was there, they're like, but you're going to do this for now, but we're looking for a name. It was a bad experience. And then I went and did a, uh, an audition for a pilot that I was excited about. That was a funny concept and the character was funny. And I was like, I, I feel good about this. But it had been a really long time since I'd gone in on an audition. And because I was excited about it, I, I got nervous. And when I was in the waiting room, it was like other dudes that I recognized that for me made much more sense to go with because they were established people. And I got in my head. So I was in the room and I was, wait, I was waiting in the waiting room and I was in my head and I started to get nervous. And, and so I went into the room for the audition and I'm like, all right, shake it off, shake it off. And I shake it off and I plant my feet. And uh, I go to Slate, I go to give my name. And then all of my adrenaline hit the top of my head, just went like through my body and hit the inside of my skull. And I was like, oh, and I could feel it. And then it's never happened before since my butt cheeks started to pull into the hole. They just started, they just started to go like, like that noise. And it felt so insane because I was so out of whack. I was so emotionally 
all over the place and my adrenaline kicked in and my body had no idea how to handle it. And I just did the audition, not knowing whether or not they could see my butt imploding. And then I went home and I was like, that was, that was a terrible way to do anything. And I, I don't want to let myself get to that point anymore. So from after that point, and this was years ago, I just started to be like, I'm going to go do whatever the role is, how I think it should be done. And if I give them my, my right answer, whatever, there's no such thing. But if I go, this is my take. If they go for that, then when it comes time to work, then we're in agreement. We've already agreed. We already know that this is the thing we're going on. So it was after, you know, a decade of bad auditions that I was like, I'm over it. And then I started to have fun. And it was that thing where I'm like, I'm taking care of myself outside of that room so I can enjoy being inside that room. I think there's so much truth to that, that it takes time, takes consistency of doing and for it to fully click that like the pressure you, the added pressure you put on yourself to get anything will never get you the thing. Right. And it's like, it's one thing that took me a while to realize, like, I was always someone who's like, well, if you really want something, that's got to count for something. And people hate that. Yeah. They just want to see someone who is grateful. They're happy to be there. They're not rude, but like, they're like, look, if it's, if it's me, we'll be great. But if not, I'm not going to blow my brains out. Yeah. You don't have to worry about me. I'm, I'm a functioning, normal human being. Yeah. And I'm here to help. And all those people that are in the room, all the casting directors, all they want to do is get it right. It's, yeah. it's their job to get it right. So it's your job as an actor to go in and say, I'm the right choice if this is the choice that you're looking for. And if not, happy trails. I'll see you at the next one. This is so great. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what you think you deserve. It just a matter, it, it, it matters on some other level that you have no control over. So you better be good to yourself. And it's almost like you just control the things you can, which is your time right. in the room. Do you have any times that you felt like, I guess either ill-prepared or out of sorts when you're actually on set and you're shooting. The one thing that really sticks out in my head is when I was doing Clipped, we were also in the heavy production of Crit Juice. Mm -hmm. uh, and we did one night where we, we went way too late. So to and, fill people in, Clip was a show that aired on TBS and Crit Juice, they... Yeah podcast that matt and i were both on where we played dungeons and dragons and we drank a lot so yeah. by saying they went it went late it also probably was a night of some serious drinking yes and i we played so long that i was sober enough to drive which is crazy because that's not something i did after crit juice games ever because it was never i was never in that state but i was like i gotta work in the morning and it was like producer or network run through the next morning you know it was like a big bigger day uh and so we finished playing, I think at four in the morning. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I got to change the clothes in my car because I didn't know if I was going to stay over wherever, whoever's place we were playing at. I was like, I'm going to go to WB. I'm going to get on the lot and I'm just going to sleep in my dressing room because it's, it's way closer than my apartment is. So I'll just do that. And so I drove, got to WB at 430 in the morning got my security card out. They let me on the lot. And I was like, this is weird. It was empty. And then I went, I parked in my parking space. And I was like, I'm going to go up in my, my dressing room and just like pass out on the couch and wake up, take a shower here, do all this stuff. I get up to the thing and the, the hallway's locked. And I was like, oh no, I can't get in. And then, so I ended up having to drive all the way back to my apartment. I wasted all this time. I got like 
three hours of sleep, I think. And then I had to go to work and I was like, this was a bad thing that I've done. And it still went fine. Like nobody knew it was just myself being like, that was not a proper allocation of energy and time. But I'm sure in the, in the D and D game we were playing, you probably rolled pretty well. So it was very, it was worthwhile that you, yeah, my team. your imagination to fight some like orcs or something. Yeah. And put your, put your like professional paid acting game, the thing you worked so hard to slightly at risk. I think that yeah. was fair. Yeah. Real smart. Real. I'm real proud of that one. As someone who's actually been on stage and done improv with Matt, it's extremely fun and he's very talented and he's very quick on his feet. So I would say that that probably helps in multicams or in sitcoms where the scripts are changing that you are able to kind of adjust, duck and move, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all training that I got that I, that I, I, those are the only muscles I have are those improv and sketch muscles that I, they're the only, only things that I'm in shape with. When did you first kind of, I guess, start doing your reps of those muscles? Was it, was it high school, college, earlier? Like, when were you kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm good at making ups. I'm good at improv. Yeah. High school was the first, like, actual, like, beginning of class and studying those things. Um, but when I was really little, I wanted to be an animator um, up until the point where I was, like, 12. Uh, and then maybe even a little actually past that, maybe till I was like 14, I really wanted to be an animator. I was looking really uh, heavily into Disney's uh, animation programs and scholarships and all sorts of stuff. And then I just started to lose patience in, in how long it took to make something. And, and I was like, oh, it's more fun if I make the, instead of drawing the silly faces, I'll make the silly faces. And uh, my family are all, very talented storytellers. So you were always sort of uh, on your toes and ready to get a quip in. Uh, and then in high school, I started taking improv. And that was, that was the start of it. It was blast. And then from then, I went to college and studied all sorts of theater there and performing arts and then moved out to LA and went to Groundlings. And I, I've been there for a long time. It's interesting that you start with the desire of like animation. So in some way, like you always were like interested in creativity and storytelling. Yeah. And my friends and I, I remember every summer, uh, my, our family friends, the Pasakos would come down and Art and Dave Pasako were the closest to my age. Dave was my age, Art's a year or two older. But we would spend all year collecting uh, action figures that we were going to use in the movie we would make the coming summer. And so we did all of these stop motion movies as kids and we would like cast them over the course of the year. And my buddy Art had a GI Joe that looked like Paul Simon. And he was like, this GI Joe looks like Paul Simon. And I think Paul Simon should be the narrator. And we were like, cool, dude, whatever you think. And then, every, and we just did that every year. It was like the highlight of my summer was staying up all night, being inside doing stop motion movies. I, that takes me back because in middle school, me and my buddy, we did so many stop motion movies, just the one click record one second at a yep. time. And there's something like very satisfying, even if the movement is a little off. It yeah. Is, it's like, it truly is like still will make me laugh anytime I think about like the action figures walking. Yes. Yeah. We recreated like the yeah. Matrix 
the six. I recreated the Matrix too. Yeah, we took. We had a. We go ahead. Sorry, you were saying. No. Yeah, it's. I feel we're friends for a reason. We yeah. had the same childhood, just in different places. Pretty much. Like if I can, I think I have the tape. If I can figure out a way to get it, we should do a screening of our Matrix remakes. Oh, oh that's awesome. I found a. I got a puppet when I was in Las Vegas with my family, and I was pretty young. And we got a. I got a puppet. And he became like our gateway drug into live action. And then I ended up getting another puppet. I got really into puppetry for a little while. And then so we would have those guys. Then all the action figures started moving in real life. And then my favorite thing I used to do was we would do action sequences. And I would take my disc man and put it in the palm of my hand and then put the camera on top of the disc man and then take my Sony like ear shell headphones that were, they didn't have the piece that connected them. They, could, they were just loose, they were, they were revolutionary. Uh, and I would take them and I would hold them with my other hand on top of the camera, on the microphone of the camera. So it was basically just a score being put in during the time of filming. So all of a sudden we were able to do soundtracks for our movies and we would have these like crazy things happening. And I'd be running with a stack of technology in this like death grip as I'm like running as a little fat boy down my driveway, trying to keep up with the Pasacos who are running with the GI Joe car or whatever it is. You know, I grew up in the Midwest and you were in New Jersey. Like there's kind of this like a removal from like acting in actual Los Angeles and Hollywood, but like it transports you to feel like, Oh, this isn't so crazy. Like to just make things and make each other laugh and do stuff. Well, it's born out of necessity. You're like, and it's crazy because I was telling Rachel, my fiance, uh, the other day, I keep having these very vivid flashbacks just out of nowhere. I just start going like, oh, I forgot about that whole part of my life, like this week in my life where I did this, yada, yada, yada. And it's all from like years and years ago. And I started to realize it's because I'm bored. Mm. Like I, I haven't known boredom since I was a kid, since I, like, I, I, I'm not allowed to go the places I want to go. I can't do the things I want to do. I'm like, I am stuck at home. Like I used to be on the Jersey shore and it's reactivating a lot of old memories, which has actually been really cool. When you're bored as a kid, what you come up with is so creative and so much fun. And like, yep. Especially if you're with your friends, you're just like, well, we got to solve this boredom, but we have no money and we have no means to get anywhere. We'll film stuff. We'll write stuff. There was like such a freedom of childhood. I just saw a post on, uh, I just, that's what I was just, I wanted to load it up because I couldn't remember the exact wording, but the quote is, without great solitude, no serious work is possible. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I loved that. And it also kind of terrified me because I was like, I guess I have to go live in a cabin for a month so I can make my great sketch. But it was, but it reminded me so much of this current thing of like, I hope, I think, and I hope a lot of great art will come out of all of this time. I know there's like this new podcast called Almost Almost Famous that I think is going to be pretty incredible. I would say like, Matt, we've known each other for maybe over a decade now. I would say it's been a joy watching, like you just like, get these jobs and do these things because it's fun to watch the people you respect and definitely the people you like as people get work because you go, Oh, phew. Like it's so easy to get jaded in this business. So easy to see people you don't like or respect getting work that when someone does, it's like Matt Cook is one of those people that you champion. You're just like, 
That's right. Get this stuff. So I'm throwing that out there to you. Just been insanely proud. Thank you. That's awesome of you to say, and I really appreciate it. It's all true. Uh, it's been really fun, man, and I'm trying to make the most of it. Uh, all boats rise in high tide. It's all about, I don't know, just helping each other out and being excited and, and working with the people that turn you on, that, like, that get you excited, that, that ignite your soul. I think that is a primary reason why we've been friends for as long as we have been, because there is a, a joy that comes out of our, our when our minds meet. Yeah, uh, and that's that's a fun feeling. Now it's a you know we have this connection, but it's the time in the show when I invite the special guest, the famed insult comic wrestler. <laughs> oh, good, get it nice and sweet, yeah. and then butter yeah. you up. <laughs> And now uh, this guy, you know, Ras Clifford, he's going to show up. And he likes to just come on and take the guests down just a slight peg before they get, Good. you know, too big for their britches. So come on, come on out, Raz. Okay. Hello, folks. It's Raz Clifford. Oh, looks like we're talking to Matt Cook. Okay. Interesting for a show about I guess, quote unquote, people trying to be famous. Good luck, kid. Uh, for those of you that don't know this guy, well, you're lucky. Um, to the rest of us, Matt Cook looks like a Christmas claymation mailman. If you really want to get a picture of him, by that I mean he's really tolerable in a small bit seasonally. Like you really just want him thrown away in the background. Now. Matt Cook is living proof that if you are loud enough, they'll give you work. <laughs> Sorry if he's blown the levels out of your ears on this podcast or anything else you've heard him do. Now, Matt Cook will describe himself. He's a, he's a pretty big nerd. And I just got to say, wow, a white guy who does improv and loves comics. I think I know what your superhero name would be. Cliché man. Oh, oh, that's fair. Boom, you got razzed by the best of them. <laughs> Good luck, kid. And if you ever see me on set, do not talk to me. Okay, bye. Later, Raz. Thanks, Raz. I mean, I've been told I look like the, the, the elf who wants to be a dentist from the Rudolph movie many times in my life. But Christmas Claymation Mailman is as perfect a description as I've ever heard of myself. It's, 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 it's just like he just nailed it. He just saw the pictures like that. He's good, man. That guy's good. Um, and I don't even know if he's ever seen a Christmas claymation special. He just knew it in his heart. He just knew what that style was. What is, what is, what's the company? Like Rankin and Bass? Isn't that the duo that did all those? Mm-hmm. Not bad yeah. for, for a Jewish guy. Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I guess uh, one of the things I want to ask, you did a smart water commercial with Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, it's my first job. You starred in the comeback with Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. And you did several seasons of Man with a Plan with Matt LeBlanc. Uh-huh. So the question on everyone's mind is, when are you going to do the whole 11 yards with Matthew Perry? <laughs> as soon as we're up and running, man. I'm yeah. ready to go. You're going through the whole Friends cast. If you I, can just get a career where you do something with Courtney Cox, Matthew Perry, and David Trimmer, I, I wonder how many actors would be able to be like, yeah, we I got all the Friends. It's crazy. Uh, and so far, the three I have worked with, have all been incredible. Jennifer Aniston was my first job. It was an internet only smart water ad in maybe 2008. Like it was a long time ago and I was so nervous and I had, I was literally, I was uh, 
tech nerd number three, I think was my <laughs> role. Right. I remember was, when you booked this, yes. Yeah, and I had to stand there on set and hold an iPad. And I don't know how much you know this, Daniel, but my hands are, I'm sitting in my home and my hands are sweaty. Mm-hmm. Like my hands are always sweaty. And I had to hold onto an iPad, which were like pretty new at the time. And it just, the whole time we were working, we go squee. It just slide down. And they'd be like, hold the iPad up. And I'd be like, I, 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 I can't do it, man. It's, it's going to hit the ground. But she was so fun. What was it like uh, when you kind of went through the process and you got on Man With a Plan and kind of realized like, oh, wow, like this is a, you know, CBS network live audience sitcom, which you've done live audience stuff before, but there's, it, I feel like it's got to be slightly a different beast of like the machine of it. Honestly, just getting that show, I, I had no idea what to expect from Matt. And, and when, I, when I got the pilot, Matt was, it was called the LeBlanc, the untitled LeBlanc Philgo Project. So, uh, you know, I didn't, there wasn't that much. I mean, it was all, the pilot stayed the pilot. The title eventually came. But, but right from day one, Matt was the coolest, most down to earth, hardest working dude on set. And he set such a tone on that stage uh, for everybody. And it was awesome because his whole thing was like, you show up ready to work, you work hard and we make a show. And it was that easy. And that's how I like to work too. I like to come in and like do my thing, know what's needed of me and hit it and help where I can and just stay out of the way when I should. And, and it was fun. And then over the years, they, I mean, they've really worked hard to make my character become part of that family. And that was wild to see the writers working that hard for me. It's a testament though, to, I guess, your work ethic and your comedy, because clearly there was some chemistry there and some magic between you and the family to be like, Oh, we, we need this guy around me for whatever reason it, it seemed it seemed to work and and yeah I was I was very excited to be there but I did I told I think all of the writers uh that I was from from the first season on I was like I'm just I'm waiting to get the email that Lowell that Lowell died off screen in a terrible bicycle accident and that's how I wake up every morning I wait for that email and one of my one of the writers has become a really good friend she goes we would never send you that email you would just be dead and I was like, oh, my God. It was awesome. I love that show. And that's awesome that you got so much, you know, time to, like, just soak up whatever info or knowledge he was willing to share or part with. Yeah, man. And that was kind of my – every day that I was on that show, I was like, I'm going to learn as much as I can right now because it is all people at the top of their game, like actors and then our whole crew, all of our crews, the camera guys, the sound guys, everybody, the editors, the writers, they were all like top tier people. And I got to be there with kind of a a lower level of um, responsibility. And I would have shows, some shows were lighter than others. And I had some massive shows, but I always was focused on learning as much as I could uh, from everybody. And Matt was always great because he was always like, come here, here, you want to do this? This helps if you go this way. This is why. And he would just tell you anything that he had on him. He's like, Any, anything he could do to help, he would help. Amazing. 
Now with this uh, business, have you thought about if you or when you get to be a guest on a late night show, like that moment of like, uh, have you ever like fantasized or thought of like what that moment would be like? Well, I'm doing this podcast just to get ready for that. Uh, this is, I'm just burning this off so I can get some experience and, you know, try to level up that skill before it's, before it really counts. Uh, uh, I'm like, I'm I'm like, I'm like Colbert light over here. I'm like a (laughs) diet, diet Conan. Yeah. I think about it and I try to, I try to keep a story in my pocket. So I have something worthwhile, but I, I don't know what it would be. So many of my stories are gross well this is this is why you tell it on this podcast uh i would say well because you brought up conan this was other than i was thinking of years ago i tested for snl and one of my and you go and that was one of the shelf moments that was the thing like when I, I walked out of the tunnel and it was that stage that i grew up watching and that was very special and one of the things because you're supposed to do like six characters you do like three characters three impressions or whatever the whatever the uh, equation is but one of the impersonations I did was Conan O'Brien. And I did, uh, this is every Conan O'Brien monologue ever. And then I just did all of Conan's like, <laughs> hello everybody, just all a whole, a whole thing. And I didn't get SNL. I don't know if I ever told you that. No, you, can't, you played it pretty close to the chest. But you were with me when I was on hold for SNL. This now I'm, I'm going, this is a better story. I was on hold for SNL, it was like, I think I auditioned in May and I think you and I were walking around town in August and I was a dog walker for many years. And one afternoon Daniel met up with me to go walk dogs and just talk about stuff that maybe we wanted to write or like just to hang out and pitch ideas and stuff. So we're walking in West Hollywood down a side street and I see this guy turn the corner and I go to Daniel like it's Dave Grohl because he's like this like rock and roll looking guy. Daniel goes, <laughs> wait, is it? And then I look again and I was like, oh, it is. And Dave Roll is like my favorite dude in the whole world. And so I panicked and I, I think we had eight dogs with mm-hmm. us. If my, if my count is correct, I think it was eight dogs, uh, all of whom I was walking. Uh, yeah, I wasn't holding a single leash. You weren't <laughs> holding the leashes, uh, but it was like a very strange picture. But so I see him and then we're literally directly across the street. He's getting into this minivan and I stop in my tracks and I go, Dave. And he stops and he's like, and I could see in his body, he goes, what's this going to be? And he slowly turns around and he looks at the two of us, sweaty, covered in dogs. And I laugh and I go, oh, uh, you don't know me, man, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, and I just, uh, he's like, oh, that's so great. I'm like, yeah. I was like, I thought that was you. And then I saw that it was, and I just, I wanted to say thank you for your music and for everything. And, and I wasn't going to say anything, but my brother is a huge fan too. And he, he would have killed me if I saw you and I didn't say anything. And so I'm like, so I just wanted to say thank you. I just, I, that's all, man. I just, I, I'm a huge fan and I just wanted to say thanks. And then this is, this is now Dave Grohl. And this is no, this is a direct quote. And exact amount of time that it happened. So I'm going to say, I'm going to speak as Dave Grohl. And then you just have to imagine Daniel and I staring in awe from across the street on the sidewalk, not responding at all. And then it went like this. So Dave Grohl goes, 
Oh, thanks, man. That's so nice of you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. So are you a dog walker? And I went, yeah, man. And he went, well, it looks like you're doing all right for yourself. And I went, I'm getting by. And he went, he went, all right, well, thanks again. I'll see you later. I was like, I'll see you later, Dave Grohl. And then he got this hand and he went away. And I turned to, I turned to Daniel. I go, oh. And Daniel goes, he's like your favorite, right? And I went, yeah, he's my favorite. But I'll never, and in my head, I was like, I should tell him. I'm on, I'm an actor and I'm on hold for SNL. And I am, I'm not, I'm not a monster. I'm a human being. You know, it's in the internal dialogue was crazy yeah I, it was so great to be there for that moment because truly dave Grohl is like a top like celeb for you that we spotted him you said hi i still love the fact that he might one day just like be watching tv see you and go the dog walker's done all right <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story i think conan would love it he might also like you doing the impression well of the him. impression the short i'll go the short version of the conan story is i did the impression and then i was on hold and I, I ended up meeting Conan like three months after I did my audition and I went pale because I was like I my stomach dropped because I was like he wrote on SNL like I'm sure someone sent him the tape of this asshole doing every Conan O'Brien monologue ever and then so I just had to like sit I stood there and I talked to him and he was as nice as could be and the whole time I was just sweating bullets like he hates me and he's going to pull me aside and very quietly say, I know it was you. Then he saw you, you went pale and he's like, oh, he's trying to do that impression of me again. <laughs> well, Matt, it's been great having you as a guest on my podcast of Almost Almost Famous. Thanks for having me. Yes, this has been so nice. Uh, again, everyone, thanks for listening. I've been your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous. <laughs>